God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, I'm i going to play a clip today that's going to um, be a pretty long clip. It's uh, from Tucker Carlson. His opening uh, last night was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. It touched on everything we've been talking about for the last month. Uh, talking about Ukraine and, you know, a lot of the subtleties and a lot of the things that are the offshoots of Ukraine, like inflation. Um, but, I, I, you know, I see this whole thing as a, um, as a, as a conflict between, it's a world war and it's a conflict between uh, globalism and nationalism. It sounds pretty simple, but very complicated and we could take it all the way we could take it so far back I mean even beyond Benghazi I mean probably even further than that 9-11 and uh and and even further than that you know you can go back to the good days of Kissinger but I mean that's not the exercise for this show um but the thing is is like we just released the 20th hijacker back to Saudi Arabia. Why? Shouldn't that person do life in prison? You know, after killing 3,000 people? But I just don't know what it is what it is about the Biden and Obama mentality that they have to cater to these terrorists. Because they're people of color. And what their infatuation is with skin color. Obama's guilty of it. Joe Biden is certainly guilty of it. And yet, they are the biggest racists on the planet. Anybody who embraces quota-based systems and equity over equality, you know, to me, is a racist. Anyone who hires somebody... uh, 
on the on the basis of their skin color or their gender to me is a racist i don't quite get how you could see it any other way and these are the same people over and over again doing the same thing and yet you know you take a look at the democrat party the party of george wallace and segregation jefferson davis versus lincoln and you take a look at even President Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson. We're going to own those N-words for the next 200 years once they buy into and suck on the tit of the uh, civil rights funding. The affirmative action quota-based equity. And all these other things that are based on skin color. It's a terrible terrible policy anytime you engage in the physicality of somebody's features because of the way they were born it's a mentality it's such a flawed mentality and you take a look at Putin for example nobody has helped Putin more than the left more than the neocons, more than the people that say they hate Putin the most. Incidentally, there's going to be a ceasefire today after they bombed the crap out of Ukraine over the last 48 hours. Russia. After they do that, Russia decided they're going to do a ceasefire and they're basically going to take Ukraine. It's a pretty brilliant strategy, actually, when you think about it. They're giving a ceasefire and they're saying, okay, we're going to give time for everybody to get out of Ukraine that doesn't want to fight on the battlefield. So all the women and children and all the civilians, we're going to give you time to leave. And we ask you to leave. Go to Poland. You don't have to come back to Russia. But if you want to come to Russia, we'll welcome you. But go to go go somewhere else because we're, we are going to escalate this war in a very deadly way. Now, I think that somehow a lot of the mistakes that were made by Putin are in part this whole effort could have been avoided, this whole bloodshed. I don't see the real gain in taking over Ukraine except for the pipeline uh, distribution the oil and it's always about the oil isn't it but here uh, the gateway pundit says Justin 9-11 uh, no that was the 9-11 terrorist uh, one but no 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 the one that says uh, ceasefire oh yeah this is uh, right here Washington Times Russian UN ambassador announces ceasefire plan Russian's UN ambassador, Vasily Nebenzia, says Russia will carry out a ceasefire on Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Moscow time, so it's already started, and open humanitarian corridors to evacuate citizens from Kiev, Cherniva, Sumy, and Mariupol. He took the floor at the end of the UN Security Council meeting on the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine on Monday to make the announcement. 
This proposal doesn't have any demands about the citizens being sent necessarily to Russia into Russia territory, he said. There's also evacuation offered towards Ukraine cities to the west of Kiev, and ultimately it will be the choice of the people themselves where they want to be evacuated to. So we'll see what happens there. But once they clear that Ukraine out, of course it's going to be a kind of, that that land is going to now belong to Russia, and Biden's going to sit there and do nothing. Remember uh, that clip where Biden, uh, you know, it says Biden, it, this isn't going to age well. It's not aging well, is it? And that's because Joe Biden is a compromised leader that could be expo- easily exploited. That Putin has all the dirt he needs on someone like Joe Biden. Let's take a listen to what Joe Biden said. Uh, let's see. Well, maybe I don't have it. But uh, Joe Biden, yeah, because I had a Joe Biden clip, but it's another clip. But Joe Biden was basically pounding his chest, saying that Putin is going to fear him. And of course, Putin is walking all over Joe Biden. That's the problem. And it's just sad to see that we are in this situation right here. Let's see. Uh, well, I don't, yeah, I don't have the clip I was looking for. But in any case, we have a, a, a really great clip from uh, Tucker Carlson. It's a lot longer than I would normally ever want to play a clip. It's almost 20 minutes. Uh, so I'm going to wait and play that a little bit later in the show. I want to read some posts to set this up, set up what uh, Tucker is going to talk about. And then also I want to talk about the inflation and the prices uh, and everything associated with this. And then hopefully we'll have some time to also talk today about um, the Pfizer report and the 1,291 uh, uh, disclosures of side effects. But I put up this picture on Facebook and it says, always curious, McCain and Graham's side dealings with ISIS, Turkey oil, and Syria, especially considering that the Assad kingdom is home to Russia's largest naval base in Syria. But now I know where Saddam Hussein's bio and chemical weapons were stored, first in Syria, then in Ukraine. And then there's this other part. And and again, it's the neocons and the liberals that somehow always just automatically hate Putin, hate Russia. And the reason why I like Tucker Carlson's commentary on this is he, his study in college was Russian studies. And so he's, he's very astute with regard to the Russian history. But one of the things I, I always say is this. What you do you do recall Trump, right? You do recall when Trump wanted to get out of Syria. And it was Lindsey Graham and John, you know, people like John McCain and Lindsey Graham that, that basically said, Don't that would be the most foolish thing you could ever do. But if you go in reverse even before Trump and go back to two thousand twelve, 
you look at how we overthrew Mubarak in Egypt and then we all overthrew Gaddafi in Libya. And what do we do with Gaddafi? Uh, Hillary Clinton laughed and she said, we came, we saw he died. They drug him through the streets, treated him like a dog. He was complicit. I mean, uh, not complicit. He was cooperative, Gaddafi was, with regard to nuclear escalation. And he did what we asked him to do, and he got punished for it. And for what reason? I remember French uh, fighter jets went in there and bombarded his country. And um, so they took over Gaddafi's Libya, and they took all the assets and stored them in a schoolhouse in Benghazi. And I know I've said this before, but it ties in a little bit to what's going on today. And I'm just reminding you of certain things that we need to be paying attention to, things I didn't forget. Like how upset Lindsey Graham was over Jamal Khashoggi. And that radical left-wing bent of the Arab population. And that leadership on that side of the equation. Radical left-wing which I think Lindsey Graham is, I think most neocons are somewhat left-wing. And we're going to find out a little bit more about you know what Mark, Mark Levin has said recently uh, agree, in agreement with um, in agreement with Lindsey Graham, Matt Schlapp, uh, his endorsement of Leah Thompson. Thomas, Leah Thomas, the swimmer from Penn, the, the, the dude that wants to compete with women and is ruining women's sports. And somehow Matt Schlapp's compassion is for Leah Thomas. I'm sick and tired of these so-called conservatives who were never Trumpers in the beginning. Like Lindsey Graham. I played those clips last week. I don't, I'm not going to play them every day, but how he praised Biden and he bashed Trump, called Trump a xenophobe and a racist and, you know, all these things. Again, these are anybody who hates Trump is not a true conservative. They don't get it. You could say you could say, you know, I don't like his style, but you, you to hate the guy. And to be able to, to not, and not be able to understand where Trump was coming from where his heart was and and and, and defining the, the characteristics of the debate like nationalism versus pop uh, nationalism versus globalism populism and capitalism versus tyranny and control you know we had the caller call in yesterday about you know fascism and I got people writing in and supportive of uh, what we were doing. And it's true about centralized authority. And people who like centralized authority and top-down federal governments that control everything, like the woman from West Virginia who called in yesterday, that's fine. I mean, she's entitled to her opinion, but the fact of the matter is, and she's probably a... Um, She's probably a, uh, 
met Joe Manchin supporter because she seems a little bit conservative on certain things. But, the, you know, the idea is this. But I'll never forgive Joe Manchin for, you know, th- turning a blind eye to due process and impeaching Trump. So he would never get my vote. But I will say this, that these neocons, these neocons and these war hawks and these liberals are all on the same side when it comes to these crises. So they take over, they take out Gaddafi, they store all the weapons in Benghazi, and they migrate them over to Syria, and they put them into Syria, and these anti-Assad rebels and ISIS became mercenaries, basically tracking the oil that was coming out of Iraq, because Iraq was in shambles. So there was a lot of oil to be had. And they looked, at, they looked at it as an opportunity to say, hey, who's going to control this oil? <clears throat> well, you know, there's a lot of money to be made here. If we could just get some mercenaries in. So they free up al-Baghdadi out of Camp Bucca, And he sets up a headquarters in Raqqa, Syria, because he couldn't set up a headquarters in Iraq because that was Americans under American control to a certain degree. And probably not wanted by the installed Iraqi government at the time. So they set it up in Raqqa, Syria, and they basically fought against Assad, who wanted to throw them out, but didn't have the muscle. But they did have the backing of Russia. And Russia basically was in Syria and has been in Syria since the the Assad kingdom took over Syria. And the Alawite Shia basically had a very defenseless population that was 80% um, Sunni. Didn't like them. And so he took away all their guns and they were defenseless. Second Amendment, folks, it's really important. But uh, Assad made sure that he had a defenseless population. And in comes ISIS and anti-Assad rebels, probably same thing. And they were, how were they funded? How are those caravans? How were they paid? Through Gaddafi's gold, through Gaddafi's cash, skids of cash, warehouses full of cash, oil wells and pipelines. And I remember Donald Trump saying, I want to get out of Syria. And he with, finally withdrew this, uh, our troops from Syria. But then he said, I left some behind But they're there to watch the oil wells. And that was game over for Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham was out of business. Because Lindsey Graham wanted that perpetual war. And when Trump wanted to leave Syria, what just happened next? That false flag attempt attack in Syria that kept us in even longer. We had people engaged in fighting against the will of our own president and for peace. We had no business there, except for the business of oil and dark money. And we turned and we paid these ISIS warriors who were cutting off the heads of our journalists with knives. Jihadi John, remember him? And William Pearl, Foley, uh, all these people lost their lives. But these neocons and these globalists don't care. 
They were never going to take over Syria. And I said it at the time, and I said it years ago. Russia is going to see to it that they, Syria never cr- collapses or crumbles. But that's okay. They had to have a reason to be there. But the reason why they're there wasn't to take over Syria because they knew they weren't going to pull that off. The reason why is because they wanted to protect their pipelines. But Russia, who sells the most oil to the Americans, we, bought, we are Russia's biggest, biggest supplier. We are Russia's biggest um, buyer, I mean, not supplier. Buyer. We are Russia's biggest buyer. And so we could turn it off in a second by turning up the Keystone Pipeline. But we want to somehow push the green down the throats of America, even if it means that Russia gets rich off of us. Germany buys 80% of their oil from Russia. 100% of the oil consumed by Latvia and Lithuania and all those Baltic countries. Guess what? They buy 100% of their oil from Russia. But Russia wanted to make sure that a south southern supply chain coming up through Turkey and Syria uh, didn't happen. And so one of the things that was happening is the alliance with Syria has to do with oil pipelines coming up from the Middle East into Europe. Russia wants a monopoly on European oil, hence the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 going through the Black Sea into Germany. So there you have that. And that's what Syria was about. It was a conflict about rogue states like Iraq, that were left in a vacuum because we had no exit strategy thanks to George W. Bush. He had no exit strategy and the media pounded the heck out of him. And so there there it was. But Turkey, which is a rogue NATO nation, really, kind of run by a radical Islamic jihadi himself, Erdogan, and he's converted Turkey into something that, you know, didn't need to be. And it's like almost a terrorist state. Not quite there, but close. Egypt is more stable. You know, Al-Sisi is turning up normal relations with Israel. Turkey still doesn't acknowledge Al-Sisi as the leader of Egypt because they were in support with Obama Erdogan and Obama, and Obama said this about Erdogan, one of the top five leaders he respects the most is Erdogan. He said that. And they both didn't agree. They both agreed with Morsi, the Muslim Brotherhood leader, who ousted Mubarak, but they don't recognize al-Sisi. And Biden probably doesn't either. But remember, there was Obama's first speech in Cairo, And it was Trump's first speech in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, to balance the power. But it's all about the oil, is what I'm trying to say to you. And, oh yeah, this video didn't age well. Let's take a listen. This is uh, is, uh, the Joe Biden video um, with respect to uh, him uh, 
talking about how tough he's going to be with Putin. Putin's eating his lunch. Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully, just like the president. And I know he doesn't want me to be president, but to tell you what, when I'm president, things are going to change. I'm hoping diplomacy is still available. Thank you all very much. Are you still open to meeting with Vladimir Putin, sir? Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. Yeah, well, (laughs) that didn't age well, did it? It didn't age well at all. And uh, the thing is, is that Putin is going to get all of Ukraine. This ceasefire that's going on right now is the key to their success. They already control the, the energy the nuclear power plants. They're going to control the pipelines. They're going to control their monopoly over oil. Even countries like Germany are equivocating and and bowing to Russia because of the oil. And yeah, the globalists want to get off into batteries, but guess what? Even if you go with batteries, it still requires coal to do that, right? So, I mean, you know, I, I just don't understand how clean uh, batteries are because, you know, what are we going to do with the waste product on batteries when it becomes a normal thing? Who could afford $60,000 vehicles? The average electric car is 55 grand. It's going to price people out of buying a car. Uh, But what they're doing is, you know, forcing people to, uh, forcing people to do that now, I want to I want to take a listen to um, Peter Ducey uh, asking Jen Psaki about this oil question, and then a little bit of Fox and Friends is going to come in after, uh, and that's basically they're going to talk about a couple of things here. Let's take a listen. Would President Biden ever undo his executive order that stopped the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline? Are you suggesting that would solve the gas prices issue? Well, do you think that that would maybe affect prices faster than getting the whole country off of fossil fuels? I actually don't think it would. Uh, The Keystone uh, was not an oil field. It's a pipeline. Also, the oil is continuing to flow in just through other means. So it actually would have nothing to do with the current supply imbalance. So you say that you're going to do everything that you can to reduce the impact that high gas prices have on Americans. Uh, We're asking other countries to think about maybe pumping more oil. Why not just do it here? Well, to be very clear, federal policies are not uh, limiting the supplies of oil and gas. To the con, let me finish. To the con, let me finish. An executive order. His first week that halted new oil and gas. Let me let me give you let me give you the facts here, and I know that can be inconvenient. We are one of the largest producers with a strong domestic oil and gas industry. We have actually produced more oil. It is at record numbers, and we will continue to produce more oil. There are nine thousand approved drilling permits that are not being used. Okay, so she goes on to blame the Ukraine invasion for the high gas prices. Let me remind her, the Ukraine invasion started 13 days ago. Right. Gas prices have been going up for the last for the last right. year. We just put up the graph. Um, yeah, a year ago, two seventy seven a gallon. Today, four seventeen a gallon. Seven dollars out in California. And get this, 
Keystone Pipeline would have provided 830,000 barrels per day. Guess how much we buy from Russia? 670,000 barrels per day. Keystone alone would have given the United States 160,000 more barrels a day than we buy from Russia. So you go to North Dakota, you go to Texas, uh, you go, you frack more. It won't be an instant answer. The frackers say, for, you know, we just can't uh, ramp this up immediately, especially they have to have some supply churn issues. But if they knew things were coming down the line, that would also affect the oil market. And some experts have said this could go up to two hundred dollars per barrel this yeah. month which is unbelievable but in terms of the experts the people that do this for a living they get the ratchet set out and make pipelines the one that spend the money get the financing to take the risk to drill in those lands and know what it takes to get the permits and know how hard it is here's a little of their answer to Jay. but they're expensive and, and fuel by coal. Like, right, exactly. Uh, now, going back to those experts talking a little bit about how disingenuous the answers from the uh, administration are. Keep in mind, the administration probably would like us to be paying $10 a gallon so that people would drive yeah. cars less. It's right. all part of their very ambitious climate change uh, and global warming and policy. Right. And so what Peter was talking about and what those uh, people were talking about in that montage, the Biden administration on day one... Um, did something. His first day, Joe Biden jacked up the climate cost estimate. During the Trump years, it was $7 per ton, and Biden jacked it up to $51 per ton of carbon dioxide emissions. Well, recently, in the month of, of February, a Louisiana federal judge sided with a group of Republican-led states. The judge said the president did not have that authority to change that, uh, that particular rule. It violated federal law, and so now the Biden administration is delaying decisions on new oil and know. gas leases. Well, thank you very much, right. Siri. So here That's is Senator Dan. Just, just, just one other thing I'd like to say, and that is that going forward, it sounds like there's an item in Politico this morning that says that Exxon's going to step up and try to uh, drill 100,000 more gallons of barrels a day, but that's going to take a year. Right. Here's Senator uh, Dan Sullivan from an oil state of uh, Alaska where they cannot uh, drill in Anwar and, and elsewhere. To. They're, w they're they waiting know? on an A-OK -okay from this administration. It was, believe it or not, it was in the, uh, the Trump tax uh, reform bill that passed. Listen. Yeah, it's not truthful, right? And it's not truthful at all. From day one, day one, this administration has been hell-bent with their anti-American energy holy war to shut down the production of American energy. She knows that, right? It's delaying leases. Look, you can get a lease and then they delay the uh, permits for you to uh, be able to do seismic and do work on it. In Alaska, they delay the ability to get a permit for an ice road, which is how we go and do exploration on these leases. So day one, they have been focused on killing the production of American energy and the White House press secretary is not telling the truth. And had, Keystone, had Joe Biden not pulled the plug on Keystone the first day, we would be over one year closer to it being completed. Right. Uh, a White House press secretary not telling the truth by a guy from an oil state that knows the reality of drilling it. And I imagine Jen Psaki Well, there was doesn't. that poll, support on ban on Russian oil. 71% said yes. Quinnipiac University. That's Republicans. That's Democrats. That's independents. Even if it means higher gas prices. American exactly. people, seven out of every 10 American, according to Quinnipiac, would be... There, there needs to be a lot more pressure on uh, 
being energy independent than we're, we're giving it. And we need to be a lot more pressure on this administration for that. Uh, all right. We, we were running out of time here because this uh, clip is that I'm going to play for you now is Tucker Carlson's open. Uh, if you listen to the Scott Adams show and for the last couple of months, you're, you're going to hear things in this m- opening that are just going to be so reflective of everything we've been talking about. Even what Steve Ducey just said there, you know, about these higher prices being intentional. That this is just a push for green, uh, green initiatives. Uh, that's what this is all about. Again, it's always the opposite of what you think is happening is happening. A lot of times the Democrats are never really selling you the truth. They're selling you deception and, uh, and that's uh, par for the course. And we've been talking about that. We've been right on these issues at the Scott Adams show uh, from, from you know, basically the last few months we've been talking about this stuff. And we've been leading on these concepts and these theories, uh, which are coming true. But let's take a listen to Tucker Carlson's open. Going forward, Blinken explained, the Biden administration will use Poland as a cutout to send fighter jets to the government of Ukraine. Those jets will be used to fight the Russian military. Blinken announced this in a calm, even tone that suggested this was conventional procedure, business as usual, nothing to worry about, just another weekend at the State Department. But in fact, it's not typical. It's a very big step. It could turn out to be a pivot point in history. And for that reason, we want to show you the entire exchange. Here it is. If, for instance, the Polish government, a NATO member, wants to send fighter jets, does that get a green light from the U.S., or are you afraid that that will escalate tension? No, that, that, that gets a green light. In fact, we're talking uh, with uh, our Polish friends right now about what we might be able to do to backfill uh, their needs if, in fact, they choose to provide these fighter jets to, to the Ukrainians. Uh, what could we do? How can we help to make sure that... Uh, they get something to backfill the planes that they're handing over to to the Ukrainians. Are you afraid that will escalate tension, asks the script reader, because even a CBS News anchor knows that sending fighter jets to a war usually does that. No, replies Tony Blinken. That gets a green light. It's a remarkable exchange. What are we watching here, apart from a conversation between two incredibly shallow people who have limited contact with reality? What we're watching is the beginning of a war between the United States and Russia. If that sounds jarring, what else would you call it? Now, you may support everything that Tony Blinken just said. Maybe you do support it. But let's not lie about what's happening. Let's be as honest and clear-eyed as we can be, especially now, because it matters. The Biden administration just inserted itself with force into the middle of a hot war between two foreign powers. That means the United States is now an active participant in a war. We are at war with Russia. Whether or not that war has been officially declared, whether or not Congress has authorized that war, all of that is irrelevant. That war is happening right now as we watch. Why is no one in Washington saying anything about this? Because they support it. They always have. Almost five years ago, way back in 2017, Congressman Eric Swalwell of California came on this show for another Russiagate debate, one of many. He came to let us know how Vladimir Putin had gotten Donald Trump elected president. It was all as stupid as you remember it until the end of the interview when Swalwell said something odd and interesting. Swalwell explained that because Putin had installed Donald Trump secretly in the White House, the United States should now, quote, 
do everything we can to expand NATO's role. In other words, we should let Ukraine join NATO. That's odd. Why would he say that? Why would a policy so seemingly obscure NATO, Ukraine, what? Why would that be a priority for some forgettable congressman from the East Bay? Well, simple. Because getting Ukraine to join NATO was the key to inciting war with Russia. We didn't get it at the time. Now it's obvious. Vladimir Putin just invaded Ukraine because he didn't want Ukraine to join NATO. Putin certainly had other motives as well. People always do have multiple motives. But that's the main reason Russia invaded. The Russians don't want American missiles on their border. They don't want a hostile government next door. Now, that's true, whether you're allowed to say it in public right now or not. It has been true for a long time. A lot has been written about this over many years by serious people. No one who knows anything and is honest will tell you Putin invaded Ukraine simply because he is evil. Putin may be evil, he certainly seems to be, but he also has strategic motives in doing that, whether or not you agree with those motives. That's irrelevant. Those are the facts. So with those facts in mind, the Biden administration's behavior in the days before the Ukraine invasion tells you a lot about what motivated them. With Russian troops massed by the thousands on the Ukrainian border, Joe Biden sent Kamala Harris, the least capable diplomat in Washington, to explain America's policy to European heads of state. At a public press event at the Munich Security Conference, Kamala Harris encouraged Ukraine to become a member of NATO. Quote, I appreciate and admire President Zelensky's desire to join NATO. Message, up yours, Vladimir Putin. Go ahead and invade Ukraine. And of course, Vladimir Putin did that just days later. So the invasion was no surprise to the Biden administration. They knew that would happen. That was the point of the exercise. We watched all this happen. We missed it. How? Honestly, because it was insane and therefore very hard to take seriously. Why in the world would the United States intentionally seek war with Russia? How could we possibly benefit from that war? We still don't know the answer to that question, but it is obvious that permanent Washington has been fixated on war with Russia for a very long time. A couple of years ago, you may remember, we'd forgotten, they impeached a sitting president. Why? For threatening to withhold military aid to President Zelensky of Ukraine. Failing to back a proxy war in Ukraine was the one thing Donald Trump was not allowed to do as president. Again, they impeached him for it. And no one said much about it, even in his own party, because of course they supported war with Russia too. Maybe even more than the Democrats did. As far back as 2016, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, hysterical little Lindsey Graham, was jumping around acting out his war fantasies in front of foreign soldiers in Ukraine. If we saw this tape at the time, we don't remember seeing it. Back in 2016, Ukraine seemed like a faraway place. We should have paid more attention. Here it is. Your fight is our fight. 2017 will be the year of offense. All of us will go back to Washington and we will push the case against Russia. Enough of a Russian aggression. It is time for them to pay a heavier price. Your fight is our fight? That's a very strange thing for an American lawmaker to say to a foreign military. Why would the Ukrainian government's fight in 2016 possibly be our fight? On what grounds is it our fight? What does that even mean? We don't know. And yet now it is demonstrably true. 
Ukraine's fight is our fight. Ukraine's war is our war. It's here, but most Americans did not see that coming. Yet permanent Washington certainly did. Permanent Washington understood that the second Vladimir Putin's forces rolled across the border into Ukraine, we would inevitably be on a course toward war with Russia. They knew. Here's the president of the August Council on Foreign Relations on the day of the invasion. We need now a responsive necessity to his war of choice. And there's got to be to raise the economic costs at home, to raise the military costs on the ground. I hate to be so blunt, but he, you know, the most vulnerable thing that, that, that Putin's vulnerable to is, is dead Russian soldiers. So we have to make sure Ukraine has the means to, to, to resist. Dead Russian soldiers. At the time, that seemed a little bellicose, right out of the gate. It had just happened. Maybe there's some way to de-escalate this. The invasion's terrible, but isn't America's role as steward of the West to make things better? Wouldn't a prompt Russian withdrawal from Ukraine be the wisest course for everyone, including and especially the Ukrainians, on whose behalf we claim to speak, but whose country would be leveled by a protracted war? You would think so, but that's not what anyone in Washington wanted. They wanted a war, and now they have one. So where's this going? That's the question for the rest of us who had no role in making these decisions. Well, it's worrisome. You should keep in mind that the U.S. government is currently run by the same people who planned the Afghanistan withdrawal, the ones who tanked the U.S. dollar, the people who run Baltimore, the ones who tried to send crack pipes to junkies. These are people with a long history of destroying things and no history at all of building anything. So a lot could go wrong. They tell us that Vladimir Putin is unbalanced. We'll take that at face value. We know that Putin has thousands of nuclear weapons. Putin has said that if he is pushed, he will use nuclear weapons could be wise to believe him. Harry Kazianis does believe him. Kazianis is a foreign policy analyst in Washington. Like a lot of people in his business, he regularly participates in government-sponsored war games. These are designed to map out what would happen if various countries fell into conflict with one another. A couple of years ago, not long ago at all, Kazianis participated in a war game predicated on a war with Russia. He wrote about this the other day in The Federalist, quote, in the course of what we call the NATO-Russia War of 2019, we estimated one billion people died. One billion. And if we aren't careful, what happened in a simulation could happen if a NATO-Russia war erupts over Ukraine. That war has just erupted. The fact that no one in charge seems to worry about where this could go should concern you quite a bit. But nuclear war is not the only risk. The economic consequences of this war are already profound. They're history-changing, actually. And if you don't believe it, check out commodity prices. They're out of control. Wheat is up nearly 60% over last year. That's the highest price ever recorded for wheat. Not good news if you plan to eat, and it won't get better. Russia is one of the largest fertilizer producers in the world. So, for example, a ton of urea fertilizer that cost American farmers $265 per ton last January now goes for $846 this year. And thanks to sanctions, that number will get much higher. No one who farms has ever seen anything like this. You probably don't farm, but you do buy groceries. It'll be obvious to you soon. In fact, thanks to Biden's foreign policy, everything you buy is shooting up in price and shockingly fast. Gasoline is now higher than it's ever been in the history of gasoline. In Los Angeles, it is selling for $7.29 a gallon. So if you make under 100 grand a year, and most people in this country do, that qualifies as a crisis for you. But for the people in charge, it's not high enough. They'd like to make it worse. Their latest idea that a lot of people seem to be buying is that we have a moral obligation somehow to stop buying Russian oil. It's tainted. Okay. What would happen if we did that? 
Well, needless to say, oil prices would jump, likely to over $150 a barrel, even higher prices for you. But then if that boycott spread and moral boycotts tend to, and Europe joined it, buckle your seatbelt. We talked to someone in the energy business this morning, energy traders, to get a little perspective on this. He said a total boycott of Russian energy would cause, quote, an absolute global disaster. That means recession, depression, uncontrollable inflation, and the rest. Economic devastation to us and our allies. And at that point, in fact, we're already there, we'd be forced to make up the difference by getting more oil from other countries because we need the energy. Batteries aren't going to supply it. So what would those countries be? Well, let's see. They would be pretty clear. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Venezuela. To repeat, in order to wage a moral boycott, we become more dependent on Saudi Arabia, governed by Sharia law, Iran, a rogue state, and Maduro's Venezuela. Because this is a moral statement we're making. This is a moral victory. So feel good about it as you go bankrupt. That's the short-term picture. The long-term picture of war with Russia is even scarier than that. Thanks to Biden's policies, Russia and China now form a block against the United States. This was the nightmare scenario. Now it's real. Just today, the Chinese foreign minister described Vladimir Putin as China's, quote, most important strategic partner. So are we going to see a boycott of Chinese goods in the United States? They're making this war possible. Oh, don't bet on it. That would be racist. But we should prepare to lose our position as holder of the world's reserve currency. That is happening in slow motion. It's unmistakable. Now, the Biden people seem to have no idea this is going on, or maybe they want it to happen. Joe Biden was up there at the State of the Union bragging about how he took 30 points off the Russian ruble in a single day. Hooray! Good for us! But once we stop celebrating our win, the destruction of the Russian economy, they deserve it. you got to wonder, is there a downside to this? Could it be a Pyrrhic victory? Let's see. These policies have driven Russia, China, India, Turkey, and other countries to accelerate their flight from the U.S. dollar. Now, to be clear, that's the majority of the global economy. This may be the most reckless and destructive thing any American president has ever done to the United States. If the war in Ukraine ended tomorrow, we would live with the consequences of that loss of the U.S. dollars, the world's reserve currency, for the rest of our lives. No one in Washington is even acknowledging this is happening. They're looking for more moral victories to win. And the companies love it. The woke companies, Apple, MasterCard, lots of other American companies are taking victory laps for their role in punishing Russia. Great. Punish Russia. We're not against that. But you've got to wonder. You've just seen a handful of woke corporations crash a country and impoverish its citizens indiscriminately. Now, that country is Russia, so most of us aren't even thinking about the precedent it sets. We're fine with it. It's Russia who cares. But is it possible these same techniques might be used someday against some place or somebody that you care about? What if one morning you woke up and they decided that you're Vladimir Putin and you must be erased? Could that happen? Don't think about it. You're probably not able to think about it clearly right now, even if you tried. Why? Because there's a moral panic in progress. For the record, this is the third moral panic we have had in the United States of America in less than two years. You don't want to live in a country in which moral panics break out regularly, by the way. Moral panics diminish the people engaged in them and hurt the people who don't. They're degrading. They're crazy. They're the opposite of what you want. You want to live in a country where wisdom and restraint and rational behavior and decency determine the outcomes, not screaming. 
but we live in a country of moral panics. The first one began in May of 2020 with the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. That changed America completely. The second moral panic was COVID. You've lived through that. So for nearly two years, the shouting has not ended. Hysteria is now the official language of public discourse in the United States. That's not good for anyone except those benefiting from it. Who is benefiting? Anyone who lies for a living. The liars have perfect cover. Ask yourself, how much of what you first heard about BLM and then about the coronavirus turned out in the end to be true? How many of the first stories were true? Not many. It was almost all lies. But you didn't know that at the time because you were busy being yelled at. If you dared to point out that actually all lives matter, they denounced you as a racist. If you expressed concern about vaccine mandates, of course, they called you an anti-vaxxer. Sound familiar? The pattern never changes. Hey, maybe war with Russia is not a good idea for the United States. Say that out loud sometime. It's not an extreme position. Most Americans would agree with you. But you will immediately be denounced as a tool of Putin. What is this? It's name calling as a means of social control. The people in charge have decided their primary job is to decide who you should hate. In an environment like this, everything feels like propaganda, and that's because much of it is. On Thursday, we told you that Russian forces had bombed a nuclear reactor in Ukraine. That seemed to be true. President Zelensky of Ukraine had said it repeatedly, but it was not true. No reactors were hit. An unnamed Ukrainian official claimed that radiation levels in the area had risen. That turned out to be untrue as well. In the words of Mark Nelson, who's a nuclear energy analyst, quote, I'm afraid to say this looks like a coordinated effort to induce panic. Of course. It was what we call disinformation, and it was designed to get you to support a war against Russia. Now, maybe you support a war against Russia anyway, but you should at least know that you're being lied to and manipulated, which you are. Watch this segment from Good Morning America the other day. Ukraine's mothers, daughters, teachers, politicians, beauty queens, now on the front lines defending their country under siege. And there is Anastasia Lena, a former Miss Grand Ukraine. Photos of her on Instagram in fatigues, rifle in hand. Underneath, patriotic hashtags. Miss Ukraine with a rifle, defending her homeland. Is there anything more inspiring than that? It'd be more inspiring if it was real. It wasn't. It was fake. Miss Ukraine was not defending her homeland. That wasn't a rifle, it was an airsoft gun. So the whole thing was not a news story, though you read it as such, it was a propaganda shoot. It was meant to deceive you. It was meant to make you want war with Russia, sympathize with one side over the other. It works, that's why they do it. It's why the tech companies have censored so many news sites recently, including from Russia, but not exclusively from Russia. Now we're supposed to think this is a victory over Putin or something, but a victory for what? Less information? Fewer perspectives? If getting to the truth was the point of the exercise, we as American citizens would be able to read whatever we wanted to read. That was the rule for centuries in this country. It no longer is because truth is no longer the point. Instead, Twitter and Facebook are proudly censoring any information that might, quote, undermine trust in the Ukrainian government. Really? Since when are we required to trust the Ukrainian government or any government? Don't ask. By the way, over the weekend, because everything in America is unintentionally hilarious now, the New York Times attacked Vladimir Putin for censorship. Turns out he engages in censorship, tries to control what his people can read. Lost in the relentless focus on war in Ukraine, by the way, is any perspective about the world or war, which is always lacking in D.C., but never more so than now. The fighting in Ukraine is terrible. Of course, you're seeing it happen. 
No decent person could fail to be moved by the images. But it's not unique. It's not the only war in recent memory or even currently in progress right now. Many thousands died in the 2020 Nagorno-Karabakh war. That was between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Ever heard of it? It ended less than a year and a half ago. No coverage. There's been a gruesome war underway in Ethiopia for a couple of years now. It's again in progress as we speak. Tens of thousands of women have been raped by militiamen, many of them intentionally infected with AIDS. Can it get worse than that? How many people have died in the war in Ethiopia? We don't really know because no one in our media cares enough to keep track. It's just Ethiopia. We do know that hundreds of thousands of people, mostly civilians, have died in the war in Yemen. It's a war the Biden administration has continued to fund. It doesn't get a lot of attention. It's just Yemen. Who cares? All human life is equal. All of us are equal in the eyes of God. The death of someone in Ukraine is exactly equivalent to the death of someone in Yemen in its importance, period. But hardest of all to ignore, though our media have pulled it off and ignored it, is the civil war that's underway 100 yards from El Paso, Texas right now. The Mexican drug war. That's what we call it. It's likely killed more than 100,000 people. In 2019 alone, close to 10,000 Mexican citizens just disappeared, most of them young men. More journalists are murdered in Mexico every year than in any other country in the world. You're seeing pictures on your screen right now of that war. They're horrifying. We're keeping the bad ones off the screen. Trust us, they're awful. But it's not a crisis. It's totally normal, says the Biden administration. Open the southern border. The border we care about is Ukraine's. Now, Republicans in Washington, to their eternal shame, have no problem with any of this. In fact, many of them are more for war with Russia than Joe Biden seems to be. That is a disgrace. And you know what? That would include Mark Levin, who sided with Lindsey Graham just recently. Uh, he used to be a never-Trumper. Uh, he said he wasn't going to vote for Trump in 2016. And then all of a sudden, he realized that the money was good to support Trump, and look what he did. So he became a Trump supporter. But let me tell you something. Um, these Matt Schlapp, you know, uh, turning a blind eye to women's athletes and, and supporting Leah Tom Thomas. Uh, these so-called neocon conservative, formerly never Trumpers who sold their souls. You know, basically they, they did the they They were basically not selling their truths, but they were by getting on the Trump train for money. Now, I, you know. Here, we've been on the Trump train since he went down the escalator and before that. But you know what? We got to do a lot better in Washington. And we got to get rid of these neocons and these rhinos. And they're polluting the atmosphere. Uh, there's a little bit more to this clip that we might play tomorrow. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Scott Adams Show. And... Um, be sure to check out scottadamshow.com for the latest podcast, magapack.org, and also use Red State at my pillow. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. I grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.